Chapter Ten of El Filibusterismo by Jose Rizal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in April two thousand twenty. Wealth and Want. On the following day, to the great surprise of the village, the jeweller Simon, followed by two servants, each carrying a canvas-covered chest requested the hospitality of cabezang tales who even in the midst of his wretchedness did not forget the good filipino customs rather he was troubled to think that he had no way of properly entertaining the stranger but simon brought everything with him servants and provisions and merely wished to spend the day and night in the house because it was the largest in the village and was situated between san diego and tiani towns where he hoped to find many customers simon secured information about the condition of the roads and asked cabezang tales if his revolver was a sufficient protection against the tulisanes they have rifles that shoot a long way was the rather absent-minded reply this revolver does no less remarked simon firing at an areca palm some two hundred paces away Cabezang Tales noticed that some nuts fell, but remained silent and thoughtful. Gradually the families, drawn by the fame of the jeweller's wares, began to collect. They wished one another Merry Christmas, they talked of masses, saints, poor crops, but still were there to spend their savings for jewels and trinkets brought from Europe. It was known that the jeweller was the friend of the captain-general, so it wasn't lost labor to get on good terms with him and thus be prepared for contingencies capitan basilio came with his wife daughter and son-in-law prepared to spend at least three thousand pesos sister penchang was there to buy a diamond ring she had promised to the virgin of antipolo she had left julie at home memorizing a booklet the curate had sold her for four quartos with forty days of indulgence granted by the archbishop to every one who read it or listened to it read jesus said the pious woman to capitana tica that poor girl has grown up like a mushroom planted by the tic balang i have made her read the book at the top of her voice at least fifty times and she doesn't remember a single word of it she has a head like a sieve full when it's in the water all of us hearing her, even the dogs and cats, have won at least twenty years of indulgence. Simone arranged his two chests on the table, one being somewhat larger than the other. You don't want plated jewellery or imitation gems. This lady, turning to Sinang, wants real diamonds. That's it, yes, sir diamonds old diamonds antique stones you know she responded papa will pay for them because he likes antique things antique stones sinang was accustomed to joke about the great deal of latin her father understood and the little her husband knew it just happens that i have some antique jewels replied simon taking the canvas cover from the smaller chest a polished steel case with bronze trimmings and stout locks i have necklaces of cleopatra's real and genuine 
discovered in the pyramids rings of roman senators and knights found in the ruins of carthage probably those that hannibal sent back after the battle of canae exclaimed capitan basilio seriously while he trembled with pleasure the good man though he had read much about the ancients had never by reason of the lack of museums in filipinas seen any of the objects of those times i have brought besides costly earrings of roman ladies discovered in the villa of annius mucius papilinus in pompeii capitan basilio nodded to show that he understood and was eager to see such precious relics the women remarked that they also wanted things from rome such as rosaries blessed by the pope holy relics that would take away sins without the need of confessions and so on when the chest was opened and the cotton packing removed there was exposed a tray filled with rings reliquaries lockets crucifixes brooches and such like the diamonds set in among variously coloured stones flashed out brightly and shimmered among golden flowers of varied hues with petals of enamel all of peculiar designs and rare arabesque workmanship simone lifted the tray and exhibited another filled with quaint jewels that would have satisfied the imaginations of seven debutantes on the eves of the balls in their honour designs one more fantastic than the other combinations of precious stones and pearls worked into the figures of insects with azure backs and transparent forewings sapphires emeralds rubies turquoises diamonds joined to form dragonflies wasps bees butterflies beetles serpents lizards fishes sprays of flowers there were diadems necklaces of pearls and diamonds so that some of the girls could not withhold a naku of admiration and sinang gave a cluck with her tongue whereupon her mother pinched her to prevent her from encouraging the jeweller to raise his prices for capitana tika still pinched her daughter even after the latter was married here you have some old diamonds explained the jeweller this ring belonged to the princess lambal and those earrings to one of marie antoinette's ladies they consisted of some beautiful solitaire diamonds as large as grains of corn with somewhat bluish lights and pervaded with a severe elegance as though they still reflected in their sparkles the shuddering of the reign of terror those two earrings exclaimed sinang looking at her father and instinctively covering the arm next to her mother something more ancient yet something roman said capitan basilio with a wink the pious sister penchang thought that with such a gift the virgin of antipolo would be softened and grant her the most vehement desire for some time she had begged for a wonderful miracle to which her name would be attached so that her name might be immortalized on earth and she then ascend into heaven like the capitana ines of the curates she inquired the price and simone asked three thousand pesos which made the good woman cross herself sus mario sep 
Simone now exposed the third tray, which was filled with watches, cigar and match-cases decorated with the rarest enamels, reliquaries set with diamonds and containing the most elegant miniatures. The fourth tray, containing loose gems, stirred a murmur of admiration. Sinang again clucked with her tongue, her mother again pinched her, although at the same time herself emitting a Sus Maria of wonder. No one there had ever before seen so much wealth. In that chest lined with dark blue velvet, arranged in trays, were the wonders of the Arabian Nights, the dreams of Oriental fantasies. Diamonds as large as peas glittered there, throwing out attractive rays as if they were about to melt or burn with all the hues of the spectrum. Emeralds from Peru, of varied forms and shapes, rubies from India, red as drops of blood, sapphires from Ceylon, blue and white, turquoises from Persia, oriental pearls, some rosy, some lead-coloured, others black. Those who have at night seen a great rocket burst in the azure darkness of the sky into thousands of coloured lights, so bright that they make the eternal stars look dim, can imagine the aspect the tray presented. As if to increase the admiration of the beholders, Simone took the stones out with his tapering brown fingers, gloating over their crystalline hardness, their luminous stream, as they poured from his hands like drops of water reflecting the tints of the rainbow. The reflections from so many facets, the thought of their great value, fascinated the gaze of everyone. Kabesang Thales, who had approached out of curiosity, closed his eyes and drew back hurriedly, as if to drive away an evil thought. Such great riches were an insult to his misfortunes. That man had come there to make an exhibition of his immense wealth on the very day that he, Thales, for lack of money, for lack of protectors, had to abandon the house raised by his own hands. Here you have two black diamonds, almost the largest in existence, explained the jeweller. They are very difficult to cut, because they are the very hardest. This somewhat rosy stone is also a diamond, as is this green one that many take for an emerald. Kiroga, the Chinaman, offered me six thousand pesos for it, in order to present it to a very influential lady, and yet it is not the green ones that are the most valuable, but these blue ones. He selected three stones of no great size, but thick and well cut, of a delicate azure tint. For all that they are smaller than the green, he continued, they cost twice as much. Look at this one, the smallest of all, weighing no more than two carats, which cost me twenty thousand pesos, and which I won't sell for less than thirty. I had to make a special trip to buy it. This other one, from the mines of Golconda, weighs three and a half carats and is worth over seventy thousand. The Viceroy of India, in a letter I received the day before yesterday, offers me twelve thousand pounds sterling for it. Before such great wealth, all under the power of that man who talked so unaffectedly, the spectators felt a kind of awe mingled with dread. 
Sinang clucked several times, and her mother did not pinch her, perhaps because she too was overcome, or perhaps because she reflected that a jeweller like Simon was not going to try to gain five pesos more or less as a result of an exclamation more or less indiscreet. All gazed at the gems, but no one showed any desire to handle them. They were so awe-inspiring. Curiosity was blunted by wonder. Kabesang Thales stared out into the field, thinking that with a single diamond, perhaps the very smallest there, he could recover his daughter, keep his house, and perhaps rent another farm. Could it be that those gems were worth more than a man's home, the safety of a maiden, the peace of an old man in his declining days? As if he guessed the thought, Simone remarked to those about him, Look here, with one of these little blue stones, which appear so innocent and inoffensive, pure as sparks scattered over the arch of heaven, with one of these, seasonably presented, a man was able to have his enemy deported, the father of a family, as a disturber of the peace, and with this other little one like it, red as one's heart-blood, as the feeling of revenge, and bright as an orphan's tears, he was restored to liberty, the man was returned to his home, the father to his children, the husband to the wife, and a whole family saved from a wretched future. He slapped the chest and went on in a loud tone in bad Tagalog. Here I have, as in a medicine chest, life and death, poison and balm, and with this handful I can drive to tears all the inhabitants of the Philippines. The listeners gazed at him awestruck, knowing him to be right. In his voice there could be detected a strange ring, while sinister flashes seemed to issue from behind the blue goggles. Then, as if to relieve the strain of the impression made by the gems on such simple folk, he lifted up the tray and exposed at the bottom the sanctum sanctorum. Cases of Russian leather, separated by layers of cotton, covered a bottom lined with grey velvet. All expected wonders, and Sinang's husband thought he saw carbuncles, gems that flashed fire and shone in the midst of the shadows. Capitan Basilio was on the threshold of immortality. He was going to behold something real, something beyond his dreams. This was a necklace of Cleopatra's, said Simone, taking out carefully a flat case in the shape of a half-moon. It is a jewel that can't be appraised, an object for a museum, only for a rich government. It was a necklace fashioned of bits of gold representing little idols among green and blue beetles, with a vulture's head made from a single piece of rare jasper at the centre, between two extended wings, the symbol and decoration of Egyptian queens. Sinang turned up her nose and made a grimace of childish depreciation, while Capitan Basilio, with all his love for antiquity, could not restrain an exclamation of disappointment. It is a magnificent jewel, well preserved, almost two thousand years old. Psha! Sinang made haste to exclaim, to prevent her father's falling into temptation. 
Fool, he chided her, after overcoming his first disappointment. How do you know but that to this necklace is due the present condition of the world? With this Cleopatra may have captivated Caesar, Mark Antony. This has heard the burning declarations of love from the greatest warriors of their time. It has listened to speeches in the purest and most elegant Latin. And yet you would want to wear it. I? I wouldn't give three pesos for it. You could give twenty, silly, said Capitana Tica in a judicial tone. The gold is good and melted down would serve for other jewellery. This is a ring that must have belonged to Sulla, continued Simon, exhibiting a heavy ring of solid gold with a seal on it. With that he must have signed the death warrants during his dictatorship, exclaimed Capitan Basilio, pale with emotion. He examined it and tried to decipher the seal, but though he turned it over and over, he did not understand paleography, so he could not read it. What a finger Sulla had, he observed finally. This would fit two of ours. As I have said, we are degenerating. I still have many other jewels. If they're all that kind, never mind, interrupted Sinang. I think I prefer the modern. Each one selected some piece of jewellery, one a ring, another a watch, another a locket. Capitana Tica bought a reliquary that contained the fragment of the stone on which our saviour rested at his third fall, Sinang a pair of earrings, and Capitan Basilio the watch-chain for the alferez, the lady's earrings for the curate, and other gifts. The families from the town of Tiani, not to be outdone by those of San Diego, in like manner emptied their purses. Simone bought or exchanged old jewellery, brought there by economical mothers to whom it was no longer of use. "'You, haven't you something to sell?' he asked Cabezang Thales, noticing the latter watching the sales and exchanges with covetous eyes, but the reply was that all his daughter's jewels had been sold, nothing of value remained. "'What about Maria Clara's locket?' inquired Sinang. True, the man exclaimed, and his eyes blazed for a moment. It's a locket set with diamonds and emeralds, Sinang told the jeweller. My old friend wore it before she became a nun. Simone said nothing, but anxiously watched Cabezang Thales, who, after opening several boxes, found the locket. He examined it carefully, opening and shutting it repeatedly. It was the same locket that Maria Clara had worn during the fiesta in San Diego, and which she had in a moment of compassion given to a leper. "'I like the design,' said Simone. "'How much do you want for it?' Cabezang Thales scratched his head in perplexity, then his ear, then looked at the women. I have taken a fancy to this locket, Simone went on. Will you take a hundred? Five hundred pesos? Do you want to exchange it for something else? Take your choice here. Thales stared foolishly at Simone, as if in doubt of what he heard. 
Five hundred pesos? he murmured. Five hundred, repeated the jeweller in a voice shaking with emotion. Cabezang Tales took the locket and made several turns about the room, with his heart beating violently, and his hands trembling. Dared he ask more? That locket could save him. This was an excellent opportunity, such as might not again present itself. The women winked at him to encourage him to make the sale, excepting Penchang, who, fearing that Julie would be ransomed, observed piously, I would keep it as a relic. Those who have seen Maria Clara in the nunnery say she's got so thin and weak that she can scarcely talk, and it's thought that she'll die a saint. Padre Salvi speaks very highly of her, and he's her confessor. That's why Julie didn't want to give it up, but rather preferred to pawn herself. This speech had its effect. The thought of his daughter restrained Thales. If you will allow me, he said, I'll go to the town to consult my daughter. I'll be back before night. This was agreed upon, and Thales set out at once. But when he found himself outside of the village, he made out at a distance, on a path that entered the woods, the friar administrator and a man whom he recognized as the usurper of his land. A husband seeing his wife enter a private room with another man could not feel more wrath or jealousy than Cabezang Thales experienced when he saw them moving over his fields, the fields cleared by him, which he had thought to leave to his children. It seemed to him that they were mocking him, laughing at his powerlessness. There flashed into his memory what he had said about never giving up his fields except to him who irrigated them with his own blood and buried in them his wife and daughter. He stopped, rubbed his hand over his forehead, and shut his eyes. When he again opened them, he saw that the man had turned to laugh, and that the friar had caught his sides as though to save himself from bursting with merriment. Then he saw them point toward his house and laugh again. A buzz sounded in his ears, he felt the crack of a whip around his chest, the red mystery appeared before his eyes, he again saw the corpses of his wife and daughter, and beside them the usurper with the friar laughing and holding his sides. Forgetting everything else, he turned aside into the path they had taken, the one leading to his fields. Simone waited in vain for Cabezang Tales to return that night. But the next morning, when he arose, he noticed that the leather holster of his revolver was empty. Opening it, he found inside a scrap of paper wrapped around the locket set with emeralds and diamonds, with these few lines written on it in Tagalog. Pardon, sir, that in my own house I relieve you of what belongs to you, but necessity drives me to it. In exchange for your revolver, I leave the locket you desired so much. I need the weapon, for I am going out to join the Tulisanes. I advise you not to keep on your present road, because if you fall into our power, not then being my guest, we will require of you a large ransom. Telesforo Juan de Dios At last I found my man muttered Simon with a deep breath. 
he's somewhat scrupulous but so much the better he'll keep his promises he then ordered a servant to go by boat over the lake to los banos with the larger chest and await him there he would go on overland taking the smaller chest the one containing his famous jewels the arrival of four civil guards completed his good humour they came to arrest cabezang talis and not finding him took tandang selo away instead three murders had been committed during the night the friar administrator and the new tenant of cabezang talis's land had been found dead with their heads split open and their mouths full of earth on the border of the fields in the town the wife of the usurper was found dead at dawn her mouth also filled with earth and her throat cut with a fragment of paper beside her on which was the name talis written in blood as though traced by a finger calm yourselves peaceful inhabitants of kalamba none of you are named talis none of you have committed any crime you are called luis habanya matias belamino nicasio egasani cayetana de jesus mateo elejorde leandro lopez antonio lopez silvestre ubaldo manuel hidalgo paciano mercado your name is the whole village of calamba you cleared your fields on them you have spent the labor of your whole lives your savings your vigils and privations and you have been despoiled of them driven from your homes with the rest forbidden to show you hospitality not content with outraging justice they have trampled upon the sacred traditions of your country you have served spain and the king and when in their name you have asked for justice you were banished without trial torn from your wife's arms and your children's caresses any one of you has suffered more than cabezang talis and yet none not one of you has received justice neither pity nor humanity has been shown you you have been persecuted beyond a tomb as was mariano herbosa weep or laugh there in those lonely isles where you wander vaguely uncertain of the future spain the generous spain is watching over you and sooner or later you will have justice End of chapter 10